as we put our attention on the Lord. Um, thank you, Laura, for the missions update. I might also add that I spoke to Mike Maiosi yesterday. He went, when I spoke to him, he was in Sierra Leone. Right now, he's probably in the air or somewhere in transit on the way to Kenya. Uh, it is a long, 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 long journey uh, for them. But uh, praise the Lord, he's doing well and uh, really grateful for that. He looked good. Well, I mean, he looked okay. <laughs> but uh, no, he looked really good yesterday and uh, said he is feeling. Now, he might have been lying to me. Was he lying, Christina, or not? Okay, he's probably not watching, so you can tell me the truth. Uh, anyway, we're thankful for him and the, the team that's there in Sierra Leone uh, and the work that's gone on. It's a difficult work. It's a long road to hoe, but it's really a good, good work. So you pray for them as they go on to uh, Kenya and do pastoral training there in Kenya. Well, today we're coming to the Lord's table together as a church, and it's really my joy to take these next few moments to just invite you to the Lord's table together. Uh, We are called to come around this table as a church to remember the Lord. And I just want for the next few moments to direct your attention to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not going to take long this morning because I want to give most of our time to the ordinance of communion. I told my wife that this week. She's not here today. She said, honey, why do you say that nobody believes you, that you're only going to speak for a few minutes? But uh, we'll show her. This table really is all about remembering the Lord. In Luke chapter 22, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Jesus spoke of his fervent desire to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. It was even on that very night, the, the night of his, the final night of his earthly ministry, when he was careful to observe, the Bible says, all that is written in the law. This would be his uh, final observance of the Passover meal in his first coming, but apparently not his last observance of that meal. The Passover meal commemorated the delivery of Israel from their bondage in Israel or uh, in Egypt. The, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table points to the far greater deliverance of all of God's people, not simply from Egypt, but from slavery to sin and from the fear of death. And it was during that Passover meal that Jesus fulfilled really the, the true meaning of Passover for all of his disciples. You remember that at that meal there were four cups of wine that would be shared throughout that, that meal. And after the, the first cup, bitter herbs would be then dipped into a sweet fruit sauce and, and eaten while someone else told the history and, and gave the meaning of the Passover meal. Whoever was gathered that night would then sing part of the Hallel from Psalm 113 to, to Psalm 118. And then another cup of wine was shared, followed by the unleavened bread. When it came to pass, when it came time to, to pass the bread, the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, gave thanks. No doubt He gave thanks for the mighty provision by the great provider. 
And he instructed them that day, not unlike Abraham with his son Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. He instructed them that day saying, this is my body which is given for you. And then he said this, do this in remembrance of me. After the breaking of bread, the roasted lamb would be eaten. And then that would be followed by prayer. After that prayer, the third cup of wine was passed around and the rest of the halal was then sung. That third cup, that third cup of the Passover meal is the one that Jesus selected to call the cup of the new covenant in his blood. The fourth cup of of Passover wine, which looked forward to the coming kingdom, would be shared amongst those who were participating just before leaving. But for our purposes today, what I want to remind you of is that this is a time above everything else. It is a time of remembrance, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what is so significant about our time together this morning, friends, as we reverently, we, we thoughtfully come to this table, we are remembering the Lord Jesus Christ together this morning. And as we do that, I want us to look to the words of the Apostle Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm, I'm not going to read the entire first chapter, but I just want to lead you through it for a moment. You'll notice, as Paul begins the letter it's really, it's really just dripping with emphasis. It's dripping with emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the person and work of Jesus Christ. From the very get-go, from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul focuses our attention on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1, Apostle of Christ Jesus. Maybe just underline these things. Verse 2, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, enriched in Him, a reference to Jesus. Verse 7, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10, The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just in those first 10 verses, it's pretty clear that Paul, can I say, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, he's standing on a soapbox. I I don't know if I'd say he's got an axe to grind so much, but he's going to make one thing really clear. One person is going to be preeminent in this letter, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an absolute, all-out emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants the attention of his readers. God today wants the attention of his church to be riveted on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why would that be the case? Why was it that Paul was so much emphasizing the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, The reason he does that is because of what happens in this next section, beginning in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. You know this as well as I do. I mean, if you've you've been a student of the Bible for any amount of time, you know that Corinth was filled with problems. Corinth was filled with people, and to be filled with people is to be filled with problems, But there were some special kind of problems there in 
Corinth. Lots of problems, but there was the greatest problem. The greatest problem in Corinth, it's the very first thing that Paul deals with under the influence and under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. You know what it is? Sectarianism. Sectarianism. Let me just say it this way. There was disunity in the church. Let me tell you something. Listen to this. I am convinced... I am fully convinced that disunity in the local church is often the seedbed for immorality in the local church. Most of the time, when you think about the Corinthian church, probably the first thing that comes to mind, if somebody mentions the problems at Corinth, the issues there in Corinth, most of the time we're going to go right to sexual immorality, impurity, all kinds of immorality. But I'm telling you, the very first thing that Paul hits in the gate is this issue with disunity, disharmony, sectarianism, cliquishness in the local church. That, I've seen it over, we have seen it here in this church 30, 40, 50 years ago. Disunity in the local church is the seedbed for immorality. Why do I say that? Because disunity in the local church always results from the Lord Jesus Christ not being the focus. Disunity in the local church always results from the Lord Jesus Christ not being the focus. And if you get away from Christ... Man, listen, folks, we are an awful bunch if we are getting our eyes off of Christ. Let me just tell you that. And I'm not trying to, I'm not being mean, I'm not being, I'm just being truthful. We are an awful bunch if, if it's not for Jesus. Amen? What was the emphasis for the Corinthians? They were talking about men. There were cliques in the church with members attaching themselves to their favorite teacher. Now, what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't say that they were following false teachers, but rather what had impressed the people was the men, the teachers who were teaching them. He's not saying that they were teaching wrong things, right? He's saying that, that, that they, were, they, they were focusing on the men. I like what Wayne Barber said. He said, Paul said, don't ever attach yourself to men. If they have the right message, it's guaranteed that it didn't come from them. <laughs> don't ever attach yourself to a man. If they have the right message, the only reason they have the, mess, the right message is because of God. Don't ever, he said, don't ever put yourself in touch with man. Put yourself in touch with God. Attach yourself to Him. In other words... Those teachers who were teaching the truth, praise the Lord for that. But that truth doesn't come from men, it comes from God. It's not about the wisdom of man, it's not about the eloquence of man. Commentator Leon Morris said this, The faithful preaching of the cross leads people to put their trust, not in any human device, but in what God has done in Christ. I love this. A reliance on rhetoric would cause trust in men 
the very opposite of what the preaching of the cross is meant to affect. Listen, a reliance on rhetoric would cause trust in men the very opposite of what the preaching of the cross is meant to affect. And this is a perfect reminder for all of us here today as we approach the Lord's table. Listen, we are not followers of men. We are followers of Christ. We are here to remember Christ. And I want to take as our text this morning as we prepare ourselves for this table, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, where we will find four reasons to put our boast in Christ. Four reasons to boast in Christ, not man. Number one. Well, let me read for you here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, just the very first thing that, that it's put in what we would call the emphatic position here in verse 1. And because of him. That's, that's what's emphasized here. In other words, it is from him, and that him is a reference to God, God the Father, that we are in Christ. It is because of, literally, it is out of God that we are in Christ. In Christ. That's Maybe Paul's favorite prepositional phrase, in Christ. It is from God that we're in Christ. That, is, that, word, that, that phrase in Christ refers to our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. Our oneness to Christ. Our baptism in Christ. Baptism. Not, I'm not talking about water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of this spiritual reality. But our being immersed into Christ is something that originates from God, not from the wisdom of man. When we talk about union with Christ, we're saying that we are a new creation because of the work of God, not because of the work of man. To be in Christ is a reference to the relationship that we have to Christ and that we are joined to Him. We are actually members of His body such that, listen to this, when God looks at a believer, He is seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. We share in Christ's life and we share in Christ's death and we share in Christ's resurrection. And because of that, I want you to notice four reasons to make our boast in Jesus Christ this morning. What is it? Number one, because Christ became our wisdom. Christ became our wisdom. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. The Lord Jesus Christ became our wisdom. That is to say that God took our natural fleshly foolishness, he took it away and put us into Christ who is our wisdom. That is to say that Christ has revealed the eternal wisdom of God's plan of salvation. He is our wisdom. 
Paul said to the Colossians, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches, the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What is the knowledge of God's mystery? Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wis- Christ became wisdom for us. That which was hidden from us, that which we couldn't figure out, we couldn't get there on our own. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, became wisdom, God's wisdom for us. Again, to quote Leon Morris, he said, in the wisdom of God, the plan of salvation was accomplished by a crucified Christ hidden from the wise and learned, but revealed to simple believers. When we remember Christ this morning, we remember Christ, that we remember that Christ has become the very wisdom of God for every believer. Our wisdom is not in learning. Our wisdom is not in books. Our wisdom is not in education or in philosophy or even in theology. It is in Christ. Listen, without Christ, you can study theology and have no wisdom. Because Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the the revelation of God's mystery, showing us the way to God. We boast in Christ because he he became our wisdom. And and in order for him to become our, our wisdom, we have to empty ourselves of any claim to being wise. In our own eyes. Christ our wisdom. Secondly. Christ became our righteousness. So we're remembering Christ this morning. Let us remember that Christ is our righteousness. That is to say that he and he alone. Is the means by which we are acceptable to God. This past week. Or maybe the week before. Sitting with my wife. Or a morning time. Prayer and, and I said to her, you know, by any counts, we ought to disgust God. We should just be disgusting to Him. Think of it. Just the sin that is in one of us. Not to mention, can you imagine all the sin that's in these buildings today? I mean, Yuck. That should turn that that that's enough to turn God away from us. But guess what? It doesn't. For in Christ, our sins have been propitiated. In Christ, they have been carried from us, and He has become, He has given us His very righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ has been charged to our account. And there is not an asterisk, uh, asterisk beside that in, in, in God's account book as if to say, now, now this is some, somehow less uh, accounted to this person. This is, he looks at us as having the full and complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we stand before that throne, we will be judged on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. We are right now robed in God's eyes. We are robed in the perfect 
righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's why we don't boast in men. John MacArthur is not your righteousness. Alistair Begg is not your righteousness. Chuck Swindoll, not your righteousness. Joe Fout, not your righteousness. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. So this morning we remember Christ who has become wisdom, our wisdom. Christ who has become our righteousness. And then he says, and sanctification. Christ became our sanctification. What can this mean but that Christ is our holiness? This is tremendous, friends, if you'll hear it. He is our holiness before the Lord. It is certainly not my holiness that will ever bring any favor before God. Sometimes we in, in, in the church get this wrong. We think that we come to Christ we, we're relying on grace to, for salvation and then we, we get up off of our knees and then we go about and work for our sanctification. And we would say that the same grace that saves is the grace that sanctifies. It is only and ever the holiness of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, every genuine believer is set apart and in a holy position before the eternally holy God You and I, if we are accepted by God, we are accepted on the basis of the complete, listen, the complete and utter holiness of Christ. That's how God looks at a true believer. Praise the Lord. Christ is our holiness. Christ is our sanctification. And then fourthly, Christ became our redemption. He is the very ransom. That's what the Bible says. He is our sanctification and He is our redemption. He is the very ransom, the price of our redemption from sin and all of its multitude miseries. The Bible says, for Jesus Himself said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many And I want to explain to you, if you're here today and you are not a genuine Christian, that may be you. You might be here today and you came in here, whatever reason you're here, you're here. God, I believe, brought you here and you're not a genuine Christian. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about, you know, having your your, your, uh, I's dotted and your T's crossed, you know, having your P's and Q's in line. I'm talking about being a genuine Christian. I want to explain to you what it means to be a Christian this morning. Being a Christian is thinking of and counting on the Lord Jesus Christ, not the eloquence of some preacher or teacher. We praise God for those teachers, but if they teach truth, it is not their truth, it is God's truth. Being a Christian is looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, not some system of human merit. It is a confident expectation in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not my ability to repent enough and pray enough and do enough. Being a Christian is Jesus Christ is all in all. And that means that you understand that you are a sinner bound on your way to an eternal hell 
in the, deserving of the wrath of God because you have broken God's law. But God in Christ loved you enough to send his only son, perfect God, yet becoming a man, perfect God and perfect man. And Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. And he worked miracles and taught with authority, proving over and over and over again that he is the son of God, God the son. And after 33 years, the Roman soldiers came and they took him and they nailed him to a cross. And the Bible says that God was laying on him the sin of us all. Your sin, my sin, my lying, your lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, drunkenness, all of that laid on Christ and he paid the debt in full. Praise the Lord. He paid the debt on the cross. He, he, he drank in the wrath of God, as it were, that should be mine. And he suffered, and he bled, and he died. And they put him into a tomb. And three days later, he rose again, having paid the penalty. Being a Christian means counting on him to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Being a Christian means relying on Jesus to do for you what I can't do for you. And so I have to ask you, on the authority of God's Word, are you a Christian? Are you even a follower of Christ? All of these blessings, wisdom, righteousness, holiness, and redemption, all of these things are not ours partly because of Christ and then partly because of someone else. You know, you just need to top it off a bit. All of these things are in the complete fullness of God's gift, ours altogether because of Christ. Not one of us will stand before God with one milligram of our spiritual weight as the basis for our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In high school, I was a, uh, on the wrestling team. And, you know, in those days, well, I was one bad dude. I just got to, no, I'm just kidding. In those days, I had to gain weight for every match because I was wrestling up. I was actually the heavyweight champion of the world. I was actually the heavyweight. And I had, I, and I could, and I had a struggle meeting weight. And I'm telling you, at lunchtime, all those guys that were sucking weight, they just, they get their lunch tray and they would come over to my table and they just put their lunch down at me and they'd walk away. And I would count on their, <laughs> on what they were giving me to add weight so that I qualified to be able to be in the match that night. Listen, there is no one who can add anything to the qualification that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. So if you're trying to add or you're waiting on, you think, maybe if I just repent a little bit more, maybe if I be a little bit more sad or do a little bit more work or pray a little bit more or anything. Listen, that is not going to accomplish anything of eternal value. Our boasting is not in which 
teacher of God's truth we follow or we appreciate. None of us here are boasting in some inherent wisdom in us that, is some, that, 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 that we've somehow figured out how to get to God and to, look to, to, to get to God and, and to have Him look on us with favor. Not one person has connived a holiness or found a ransom outside of the person of Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul quotes from the Old Testament as he finishes up this chapter. He quotes from Jeremiah 9. And Jeremiah said this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him be your glory. It's Jesus. I'm here today because of Christ. I sing today because of Christ. I serve today because of Christ. I love today because of Christ. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. When you find yourself getting upset with others, remember Christ. Listen, it's not about you. Remember Christ when you find yourself beginning to experience the the despair of of doubt because you see so many flaws in yourself. Remember Christ when people frustrate you. Remember Christ when you succeed in something, when you excel in some area. Remember Christ when you are, are tempted to look with disdain at someone else because of where they are or how they act. Remember Christ when you're being tempted to lust and lie and steal and covet and cheat. Remember Christ. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. Let's pray together. As we come to you today, O Lord, we do so in great thanksgiving, with, with wonderful joy in our hearts, knowing that our righteousness, everything that we are is in Christ. We, we make our boast in Him. That's why we do. We come to this table remembering Christ. We don't come, any one of us, sort of better than someone else or higher up or better off. It's just Christ. For those who are here who've never trusted Christ, I pray right now that you would draw them to yourself by a work of your spirit, that they might repent of their sin, forsake it, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote the words to a, a hymn that's in your word.